Hello, and welcome to episode two of the McFrizz Files, Rhyming and Stealing. If you haven't heard episode one, that's kind of weird because who listens to only episode two first? I'm Christy here in the Sin City, Linwood, Washington, and coming to you from the Motor City, Kyle, Texas, is my co-host and guest from Cocky to Humble, Mr. Mike Frizzell. Hello, Mike. Uh, hello, Christy. <laughs> hello. So today, I'm going to make this make my part quick because Barb and Mike can talk. So <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, today is today's tape is from night two of TBTL's Drew McFrizz interview, where Mike discusses his first bank robbery. Let's go ahead and roll that clip. <laughs> heard from Mike last night about how, uh, as a college student, he became addicted to prescription drugs, and uh, that was something that developed into a full-blown problem in his adult life. He was married, um, had a stepdaughter, and um, and found that the, the only way he thought he could make all of these things work together, his drug addiction, um, bringing in some kind of money and all that, uh, was to rob a bank. And when we left off, he'd uh, purloined a minivan. One of the most awesome getaway vehicles you can. Certainly not expected. Um, and he had picked the bank. What city in Florida was it in? Tampa area? Yes. I stole the van from Jacksonville, but I had picked a bank in Tampa, Florida. So you'd, you'd pick this bank because there was parking behind it where you thought that it would be hard to see the car and see from the road. You were checking to see if there were guards there or not. It was near your ex-wife's um, aunt's house. Mm -hmm. So... You had kind of decided on the place. You had the means to do it. Can you take me through a little bit that day when you when you were going to do it? I mean, were you did you wake up a bundle of nerves? Well, I'll take you back even a little bit further. I had no interest in having a profile as a bank robber, or being recognized, or or ever being on the run, uh, being wanted, anything like that. I wanted to be the lowest profile bank robbery in the history of bank robbing. So I planned on wearing, on robbing banks that weren't anywhere near my house because I was living in Gainesville, Florida. So if anything goes on the news in Tampa, no big deal. Um, so my original plan was to do that. Also to wear clothes that nobody would recognize me in. I wore some sweats that I, that weren't anything like that I'd would ever wear. I wore a Colorado Rockies baseball cap, which is completely incongruous with any place <laughs> that I'd ever, you know, I'd never even been to Denver in my life. So, uh, and I put on some old ridiculous eyeglasses that nobody who currently, you know, knew me in Florida had ever seen me wearing. And, you know, so all that was going on. So you really thought about this stuff though, in terms of like throwing them off the scent as it were, to the point where you were like, I'm going to wear a hat from a sports team I don't root for. Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah, you don't walk in with a Mariner right. hat when you're a big Seattle Mariner fan because right. anybody you see who might be inclined to think that that uh, maybe, hey, is that him? Well, he's wearing a Mariner hat. That's obviously him. Right. That's his right. Mariner hat. Right. So. so you were kind of putting together your wardrobe mm -hmm. and you were you, you wanted to do it in another town and all that stuff. And, and when? how did you decide it was the day to do it? Well, 
as I mentioned, I had picked out the place, and and uh, the one thing that that we didn't reiterate was its proximity to the freeway. I wanted to be by the time the police showed up, I wanted to be far, far away from it. Uh, another thing that I did in preparation was I stole uh, another license plate. So if anybody saw me, if I thought anybody saw me with, uh, you know, driving away from this, that I could stop and change that plate again. And then they would be looking for a different van, a different plate. I also, uh, I bought a backpack that I didn't intend to use for any other purpose but this, so nobody would say, oh, that's his backpack. It was a little small blue Eddie Bauer backpack, and I was in my hotel room. I stayed in a hotel room in Tampa, about 10 miles away from where the bank was the night before. I stayed at a Holiday Inn, and I remember trying to watch a baseball game on TV, You know, trying to have a normal night in a hotel room that you would have. And just not being able to concentrate or focus on anything, I was was a bundle of nerves. Even though I was high, you know, this trumps high. Yeah, you're about to do a major crime, and and it it did it did have my nerves racked. And the next morning, I decided not to take my morning pills. At the time, I think I was probably taking two or three pills, just waking up in the morning to to feel normal. I decided not to take them because I, I think I wanted to have all my faculties. I guess. It probably wasn't the best decision. I should have just gone with my normal state of mind because I, w- I walked out of my hotel room and I started, I got in, in the van and started to drive. And by the time I got to the edge of the parking lot, I had to park the car and I had to go back in the lobby of the hotel room and use the bathroom because, you know, I know we like to tell poop stories on yeah. TVTL. I had, I had the runs from nervousness. Wow. Absolute nervousness. My, the bowels were given away, wow. so so I spent about fifteen minutes in the in the lobby. Did you uh, think bathroom? Did, was that? Did you have a thought then? Like maybe I'm not cut out for this line of work. Yes, <laughs> I'm crapping my brains out in the uh, Holiday Inn lobby. I haven't even got out of the parking lot. Yeah, it did. It did cross my mind, uh, but you know, I, I think at some point you just you're so committed to it, and I've made so many preparations. I gotta I gotta follow through with it and see what happens. So. Once uh, once I got that out of my system, so to speak, yeah. I got back in the van and I went to the to the bank and I I was there in the morning. I think I planned to get there at about nine fifteen. It ended up being nine thirty or so as it, <laughs> yeah. as things happened. Had you done any um, legal research? Like, did you know what you would be in for if you got caught? Like, what the stakes were? No, I okay. didn't. I didn't know. Uh, I did. I did know that, and I think it was from Unsolved Mysteries <laughs> that you don't. Do not have a gun. Don't right. don't show a gun because it, it, I think if, and and I found this out later when I did go to prison and I was talking to other people who showed a gun. You know, they basically got another ten years hmm. just for just for having a gun. So, so that was the legal decision you had made. <laughs> I, I had made that decision. I was and I didn't want to hurt anybody. And and if and, and if anybody had ever just if I'd have walked in there with my note and they'd have said no, I was just walked out. You know. Yeah. Well, well you didn't have a plan. You didn't have a follow-up plan. No. You didn't have a note that was written in all caps yeah. <laughs> or something. Well, speaking of that, okay, I, I, did, I did have a note, and the note read, I have a gun, no alarms, no die packs, put cash on counter. Another thing that I'd learned from that great NBC series, Unsolved Mysteries, was that the tellers try to pass die packs to people. 
they try they want to get hold of the your bag so that they can put the money in there so that they can put these die packs in there that explode and you know you're the guy walking out of the bank with this mm-hmm. giant blue backpack that's We all saw raising Arizona. <laughs> we know what happens. So uh so that was how the note read. Did and you agonize over the note at all? Did you, you want it to be just perfect, or I mean, you were high on on no, prescription drugs? No, I did. Kind of... No, I did. Uh, I I put a lot of thought into it because I I think um, <laughs> this is going to sound really stupid, but I think a lot of mistake bank one of the mistakes that a lot of bank robbers make is they either don't put enough in their note, enough instructions, or they put too many, or they're not well written enough. So I wanted it to be very clear. Uh, like like I said, I have a gun, which means you're going to do everything I need you to do and and be good about it. No alarms. That's very clear. Uh, no die packs and put cash on counter. And the reason that put cash on counter is so that I don't end up putting a die pack or bait money or something inside, you know, something with a radio control or something inside yeah. my bag. I get to feel all the cash mm-hmm. before I put it in my bag. Yeah. So that's. That's how, that's why I wrote what I wrote, and and um, even even when, with the distance of years and talking to all the different guys I knew that had done stuff like this, I still wouldn't have written it any differently. Yeah. So. So you get to the bank, and did you you park? Did you sit in the car for a while contemplating this, or did you just not even want to give yourself another chance to back out? I didn't agonize very long in the car because I felt like I was late. I wanted to be there right when the bank opened, and of course I had. You know, had to take care of that other business before yeah. I, before I went to the bank. So I, uh, I parked on that street that I was telling you about behind the bank, and I decided that I was going to leave the door unlocked and the engine running. I didn't want to be that bank robber who, who walks back out to his car or or jogs back out to his car and then is like feeling around for his keys, you know, or or the guy who has his keys and and goes to the ignition and it won't start. Mm-hmm. You know, so I figure if someone steals my car while I'm going in to rob a bank, hey, right, you got me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's karma. Okay, you got me. So I decided, and I did that in all all my robberies. I just left the 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 car running and and the keys in there, and it unlocked. So, um, I walked in there, and I like I said, I'd planned to be there when the bank first opened to sort of be the first person to walk in or one of the first people to walk in. I walked in there and there were two or three people in line. And that was really the moment when I almost backed out. Because in my mind, this was just going to be a transaction between me and the bank. Then now there's other people here. And what if someone sees what's going on and wants to try to do something? You know, that that sort of blew my mind a little bit is what what am I going to do? I don't want to hurt somebody or get hurt. And if somebody tries to stop this, what's going to happen? What if they've got a gun? I don't have a gun. What if they've yeah. got a gun? Then I'm in trouble. So Or an angrier note. <laughs> yeah, they hand me an angrier note, you. and I'm really intimidated. Yeah. Or a, just a, like a person like in the movies who you know wants to be the hero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so I almost backed out. But then I decided um, I'll just wait in line. Just like a normal person going to the bank on a Thursday morning. I stood and I waited. And I waited three or four minutes while these other people did their business. And did you notice the cameras? I mean, were you trying to angle away? I did notice the cameras, but I was not consciously trying to angle away. I didn't really feel like I had a reason to hide that much because of the way I was, you know, the way I'd set this up. There was nobody in Tampa. Her her aunt was 
I don't think she used a newspaper for anything besides packing all the things she bought on QVC. So I don't think that she would ever see my picture. So I wasn't that worried about it. I think later on when I got lazier and I was in banks that were closer to where I lived, I did. I was way more conscious of it and held my head down, pulled the cap down more. But that particular day, I wasn't that conscious of it. And people came in line and got behind me. And I was still really paranoid about that vigilante type mm -hmm. scenario. Well, when I when I got motioned over to to one of the tellers, I went over to her, and I, you know, I'm I'm sort of a a, a big guy at the time. I I am six two, and at the time I was probably weighing about two twenty, and I, I guess I figured by the time I got up there, I figured my bulk as a human being is going to block most of this transaction because I don't really have to pull a gun at all. And everyone slides a piece of paper yeah. of some kind, you know, so I just slid my piece of paper like it was a deposit slip or a withdrawal slip across and let her read it. Do you remember anything about this teller, her age, uh, what she looked like, what the look on her face was? I don't remember a lot about the first one. I was so in my own world. Later on, I would remember certain uh, transactions and there was there was one where it got a little uh, testy at one point and I'm I'm sure we'll talk about that but I don't remember her reaction and I and I I just remember showing her the note and then I met her eyes uh, it's kind of that moment where where she's looking up as if is this a is this a joke is this a test or something and you know I think you, you I just gave her the right you know yeah this is this is real right now stare yeah. and she started putting the cash on the counter and she she just emptied the top drawer which i would find out later there's more money to be had there so she emptied the top drawer and she put the cash on the counter and i felt through it all put it in the bag and then i walked out and i walked uh i walked around the corner to my van and i uh, i drove off nobody saw me where did you go I drove home and I drove back to Gainesville, which was about an hour and a half, I think, maybe two hours the most. And I remember when I pulled off the freeway in Gainesville, I pulled over at the first convenience store and I, uh, I counted the money. Um, and I, I didn't really know what to expect. I guess I thought I was going to get a couple thousand. I got $1,500, a little more than $1,500. And that was enough to pay the bills I needed to pay and, you know, get daddy his medicine too. So uh, I considered it, it a success. And I did I actually uh, later on um, went back to that branch and did, did it again, which was a dumb thing to do, but I didn't, it didn't, uh, didn't hurt me. Were you, I mean, did you feel it kind of elated, kind of relieved? I mean, I, I would imagine as you're walking out of the bank, at least my feeling I think would be at any moment, I'm expecting a hand on my shoulder mm -hmm. of the security guard or maybe maybe God, let's be honest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. just getting to the car without someone physically stopping me, getting in the car, driving down the road. I would have been so so nervous that when I, when I did feel like I was far away from everything and now I had this money to look at, I mean, were you euphoric? When I, when I got to the corner, as I was walking around the corner the first time to get to the car, I looked back over my shoulder and there's nobody there. And then I got in the car and I looked, you know, looked around too. Nobody there. And then when I got on the freeway without even hearing a siren, I really felt like I'd gotten away with it and and kind of let go of the really nervous feeling. And there was a little bit of euphoria there. 
and I, I wanted to get as far away as quickly as possible, and that's why I didn't stop the car until I got all the way back to Gainesville and count the money. But, you know, you really want to count that money. Yeah. You know, you really want to know what you got. Yeah. But uh, that was the hardest That was the hardest part about the immediately afterwards was not stopping and, and trying to take a look at, uh, at what it had brought me. Are you worried at all that uh, in talking about this stuff and you're working on a book about your experience – um, that you might be the unsolved mysteries for some future people? <laughs> well, uh... And for those who missed last night's show, um, Mike said that, you know, his first thought about maybe this could be done, bank robbing, that is, was when he watched Unsolved Mysteries, and they showed, they reenacted somebody passing a note. So, I mean, it... I'm As these interviews progress, we're, we're going to get into, the obviously, the emotional and... And, you know, prison-related reasons why this is not a good idea. But it does sound like it's it's a fairly straightforward process. Right. Well, the information's there. I think it's a lot more common knowledge now than it was in 1988-89 when I saw the Unsolved Mysteries. It's a lot more common knowledge now that the tellers, they practically throw the money at you so to save everybody's butt. You know, yeah. they don't want anybody getting hurt. Yeah. So – it's um, but back back then it was it was it was a much less common crime than it is now, and mm. much uh, I mean bank robberies over, I mean it's it slowed down last year in Washington State, but they've been climbing and climbing and climbing for years because, it's it just I think a lot of criminals have seen it as a relatively low risk at least at the point of contact a low risk, crime. Mm -hmm. it, they they get all of them though, they all get caught. Really? Yeah. Is it because the once somebody has has had an experience of getting that much money that quickly, it is impossible to leave it alone. Like you may not get caught the first twenty five times, but there will be the twenty sixth, and that might be the one. Is that what I don't think people? I don't think many people many of them get past you know the ten to fifteen or you know the teens because they just they do it around they do it around where they live. You know, there's all these great pictures of them. Um, you know, people are—they just get identified so quickly. There's not, there's not any—it's uh, not a crime where a lot of people that have a lot of discipline are 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 doing it. I mean, it, it's a—it's mostly drug addicts, and they're on a quick money grab, and they need two, three thousand dollars to to do what they're going to do. Um, we're talking to uh, our friend Mike Frizzell. He's uh, known on the show here as Drew McFrizz. If you've been to any of our events, you probably met him. You may be sitting at home or sitting at work going, that guy? I know him. Not unlike Will Ferrell in the movie Elf <laughs> when Santa is brought up. Well, we're going to take a, a short break. Uh, we're going to do a news update, and then we will come back uh, with more of our conversation with Drew McFrizz. This is TBTL on News Talk 97.3 Cairo FM. Stay with us. Uh, before the news, we were talking, and uh, Drew was explaining uh, how he robbed his first bank and how it was more or less uneventful. I'm, I'm wondering, I've said this now probably five times already just in the course of a couple of these interviews, but everybody thinks about robbing a bank. Everybody maybe plans in their mind how they would do it or, you know, because so many movies and it's so a part of pop culture. How was, how did Rob actually robbing a bank compare to your imagination of robbing a bank beforehand? Well, I went into it with a great deal of cowardice. I did not, want anyone to ever know that I'd ever robbed a bank. I didn't plan on going to prison. I didn't plan You've on... You've picked the right radio show to tell your story on. 
because <laughs> aside from us three, no one will ever know. And you didn't come up with like your cool name, the something bandit. Well, you know, actually, like those are made up by the investigators. It's a it's a it's a media tactic. They know that if they call somebody the you know the sunglasses bandit, that it will get more play on local uh -huh. news. Right. And so that's always that's always generated by the people that are trying to catch the bank robbers. Interesting fact. And they did eventually come up with uh, some nickname for me after they'd figured out who I was. This was way way down the road. And I can't even remember what it was. It was something to do with education because I was a college educated. The, the professor. Yeah. <laughs> the maestro. I don't know. I don't know. Wow. I can't remember what it, what exactly it was, but it was something to do with the, a university or, or something like that. Well, do you think that that helped you out because uh, the fact that you're a pretty logical guy and that you had had the, you know, the, the privilege of having a higher education and you went about this in almost the way somebody would go to a to a nine to five job, you know. You got you you got away with a with a lot of these robberies. Um, was that because you weren't from the normal profile of people who would do this, whatever that means? I think maybe some small bit, but I think the biggest the biggest part of the uh, being able to get away with it is, uh, I think it's the nature of the drugs I was taking. I think if you are a heroin addict or a crack addict, I mean, you just you spiral. You have these horrible ups and downs, and you do crazy things. Uh, prescription pill people, people that are addicted to these kind of opioids, a lot of times are very under control most of the time. And, and most people wouldn't have been able to tell that I wasn't really a functioning human being. I had enough in my faculties to get away with something like this because it's not whatever the phrase is, brain surgery, rocket science. I mean, it's just a few details you have to you have to be careful about and you are not likely to get caught. You know, it, this didn't require a real education. It just required, you know, me perking up when the segment on Unsolved Mysteries came on mm -hmm. and then applying a one or two more steps of logic and also being enough of a uh, scaredy cat to, you know, not ever want to get involved in any any controversy at the scene or any right. any consequences right well fifteen hundred dollars as your take i mean that's just not that much no. i mean you immediately have to start right planning your next one yeah the average take from mine ended up being about three thousand to thirty five hundred dollars uh, because I, I learned pretty quickly that there there's more money in the in in the drawer than was than there was in the first one. Yeah, I just caught sight of some different things as I was going along, and, and well, then do you have to change your note, or do you have to have an exchange? There, there, there were some times where I would say, you know, that drawer too. And, <laughs> and in fact, uh, one one of my robberies, I got away with a lot of money. What probably anybody would consider a lot of money, and it was just straight luck. They were. Um, it was a it was a bank in uh, not Linwood, but uh, Thrasher's Corner, so somewhere yeah, north Mill of Creek Canyon Park, Mill Buffalo Creek area, right? And uh, they were just about to load the cash machine, and one of the trucks had dropped off some money, some shrink wrap money on the counter behind the tellers. And when I got up to the to the counter, I had my note. And the woman started to open the drawer, and I pointed behind her and said, no, give me that. Oh. And I could barely get those three shrink-wrapped. There were two shrink-wrapped um, 
stacks of 20s, which were probably about eight inches high, and then one shrink wrap of fives, which is about the same size, and I could barely get them into my backpack. I could barely get it zipped up. And it was $45,000. Wow. Oh. Now, um, lest anybody think that uh, that we're completely overlooking the fact that this is uh, these are major crimes and that it's actually probably really traumatic for the people who are getting robbed, and we all, as the people who go to banks, then have to – that cost gets absorbed somehow in the insurance, the bank pays, maybe we get less interest, whatever it is. Um, obviously, you were, in, you were in the middle of having this uh, drug addiction, which was a lar- largely why you were doing this. But did you ever have a moment where you, you thought, boy, this is really immoral what I'm doing? Did that come to you later when you sobered up? Yeah, you hit it right on the head. It didn't. If it had been a big consideration, and I'd be I'd be lying if I said it was a big consideration when I'm doing these crimes that I was real worried about uh, how anybody felt about it. The way I justified it in my mind is I knew they weren't in any physical danger because I didn't have a gun and 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 I wasn't ever going to lay hands on anybody. I, like I said on a previous um, segment, I would have just walked out if they said no. I did consider once once I had turned myself in later, um, we were getting victim statements from the tellers. Uh, nobody nobody from the from inside the banks besides the tellers actually spoke out. But you know, in those victim statements, there were there there was some hard stuff. And and when they had their say, they you know they they let me know how they felt, how I made them feel, and it it was it was tough stuff. And and I needed to hear it. Because I think that's part of, you know, it's part of the restitution process is having to face it and what you, how you made people feel. Yeah. Um, okay, something else that's a little bit delicate. Um, I don't want uh, you to get yourself in any kind of more trouble, I guess, but the actual number of banks you robbed. Um, and you, you said you're, you're kind of working on a book about this. Mm-hmm. So this is, I guess, going to be out someday uh, somewhere um you you ended up you were convicted of what 30 or something banks bank robberies what ended up happening is i i did i robbed banks in seven different federal districts and i had to stand up and say guilty to at least one of those crimes in every one of those districts so i stood up and said guilty seven times i also in my paperwork had to admit to 31 other bank robberies. So the the official total on my books is 38 bank robberies. There there were more. Yeah. Um I I put the number at 60, but obviously there there are not enough good pictures and not enough uh evidence for prosecution on on uh on some of those. Was there a pretty regular interval between each one or did it just matter how long the money lasted? That's exactly it, Jennifer. It was I hated doing this. I could not stand. I was as nervous the last time I went in and did one of these as I was the first time. At least I, you know, at least I got high the last one. So I didn't, you know, have bathroom problems like I did trying to say, stay sober the first one. But I hated doing it. And even when I I had that big score, um, that got me off Robin Banks for a while because, uh, that that was that was the dynamic when when the money ran out when when um 
when I was getting to the end of, of my supply of drugs and when the bills needed to be paid, whatever bills. I mean, my, my wife eventually found a good job, but but uh, we didn't have bills to pay. Then I would go do another one. And you paid your bill. You would just I mean, most bills you can't pay in cash, can you? Right. You can. <laughs> no, 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 no. What uh, what I would do is I would deposit the money in my uh, bank account in small increments, a couple hundred dollars cash, you know, through the cash machine or, or through the through the credit union, just a little bit at a time. And it was really hard to get that that forty five thousand yeah. dollars into the bank. And I'd only gotten some of it into the bank uh, when my wife found the balance of it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What did you say? She found $26,000 in my van. You um, were still using that van? Yeah. Wow. Nobody used... looks for a stolen minivan, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Except the guys were... at the service department that had promised oh, to have it back oh, at three. Can you and imagine that's where talk? you were hiding your loot, was in that van? That's where I was hiding. Uh, I normally didn't have a lot of loot. Uh, that was the only time when I really had a lot and I was hiding it under the spare tire in my van and we were having some kind of an argument, my, my wife and I, and, and she was, you know, really onto something. I mean, she really thought that she was catching me in something and, and she went and tore apart, uh, my van and found that money and, and I had to do some serious, you know, lying. What, yeah. What was your actual home life during like during this whole time, what kind of com complicated a web of a story had you been spinning? It wasn't that hard at first because we had we were living in Florida and then we eventually um, moved to Seattle. She was uh, from another city in the south and I was, of course, from Seattle and we had visited Seattle during our honeymoon and she liked it a lot. So we decided to move up here after she got her MBA. So we moved up here and she was out of work for about six months looking for the right job and I sort of invented the same type of job that I'd had in Florida. I was, again, I was a sales rep this time for a sporting good uh, company and I had to make up business cards. I had to get a cell phone and you, and you can imagine in those days it was the big white cell phone with the strap. Yeah. That, Miami Vice. <laughs> it was... It and was, you would leave every day as if you were going to a job? I, I would. And it sounds like so much more work than having a job. <laughs> it doesn't it? Like I don't leave every day to go to this job <laughs> occasionally, but I mean, really, that just sounds like the upkeep on that is. Well, people believe what they want to believe, and and she wanted her world to be right, yeah. and everyone believes their world is right, and I gave every indication that we were, you know, we were having a normal, great life. I didn't, I didn't do a lot of unusual things, a lot of things that would arouse suspicion. And once she got a job, it was easier and easier to to get away with the lies because she was really busy. Yeah. And she never saw you still taking pills. No, no. Sometimes, sometimes uh, when I'd come back from a road trip or something, she'd see, you know, I'd have a booze bottle in the car or something like that. But 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 no, I never I never let her ever see the pills. And didn't you have to come up with? How did you explain the twenty six thousand dollars and? You mentioned to me off the air, you were making up fake gambling receipts, mm -hmm. like you were like the world's best gambler in her mind, <laughs> right? Which anybody who knows me know that knows that's not that true. Um, 
Yeah, I had to come up with uh, fake income statements, and then in that case, yeah, I, I I typed up some. I went down to the federal building and got some some uh, I think gambling winnings um, forms. You can get any forms you you want at the federal building, and then just typed in some some numbers where I'd I'd won some money and stuff, and it was pathetic. It really was, but uh, people don't want their world to fall apart. Yeah, so. You know, people are ready to believe a lie if it means that their life is still okay. Mm-hmm. And and so I I don't I don't put it on her at all that she never figured it out because it's not the kind of thing that you want to figure out. You also I think it's very it'd be very very hard to believe you might, she might be able to or a person might be able to think oh my my mate is having an affair mm-hmm. you know or they're you know they have a drinking problem these are the kind of run of the mill but things that happen to people but. My my husband is um, is on the FBI's most wanted list. He's a bank robber in seven federal jurisdictions. Does not is not. It's such a huge leap for people. I would mm-hmm. be amazed if somebody actually figured it out, or let themselves figure it out. You know. Yeah, there there weren't enough clues to put together anything like that. Did you ever think while you were committing one of these robberies that that may number between thirty and sixty, um, that you were going to get caught? Did you have any close close shaves? Uh, one time, well, I did have one confrontation in a bank and then I had another time where I almost got caught. The confrontation I had was in a, in a bank in Mission Viejo where. California. Yes. In California. Suburb of LA. I was living, uh, in San Diego at the time and I brought the note up to the teller and she started putting the, the cash on the counter pretty slowly and it was clear that she was not intimidated in any way. In fact, she was smiling at me and she asked me, uh, so what do you plan to do with all this money? Wow. What a cool customer she was. Yeah. It was the only time I ever had to act like a tough guy. What'd you say? None of your business? I said, shut up and put the money on the counter. Wow. I mean, I don't feel like I'm, you know, I, when, when you're in a state of mind where you, you've talked yourself into going and robbing a bank, I don't recommend anybody try to try to uh, get cute, make small talk. Yeah, that's I feel like I know you pretty well. I've known yeah. you a year and I cannot fathom you speaking like that to somebody. That is amazing. She was delaying me getting out of there. And I I gave her I gave her a look that I think my dad taught me, uh, which, you know, was the kind of look you get right before some serious damage is going to happen to yeah, you. So, yeah. um, so it sped things along, but it's still, I mean, it was not a nice thing to say. And I would, I definitely, you know, would love to take it back, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, that's the only time I ever really encountered any trouble inside the bank. I did almost get caught another time though. It was a key bank in Linwood. No, not Linwood. Um, in, in North Seattle. And when I, case this bank before i hadn't seen a security guard in there and even when i walked in there i didn't see a security guard apparently he's got some alcove where he sits in and and i was walking out of there and i and i saw him as i walked out but he had he didn't know what had happened yet obviously after i walked out the teller filled him in and then he came out of the bank and started running after me and i ran to my van and fortunately he was a chubby fella and he couldn't keep up, but he did see me drive away in my van. Did he have a gun? No, he did not. 
That's a pretty brave bank security guard. Yeah. You know, because like unarmed chasing a guy into the parking lot, he doesn't know you. The note no. that you've given says you have a gun. He, he, yeah, he didn't know. I'm sure Teller didn't even have time to to tell him, but he ran after me, and so. But I got in my got in my van, and I drove off, and I had a spot that I'd already staked out to go change my plates, which I usually did, and I went and changed my plates and. And drove off. I forgot that you had a part-time job of stealing plates. <laughs> yeah, if only there was money in that, because you, it sounds like you went through a lot of license plates. Yeah, you could take... So your van was still illegal. Yes. And you were just switching up the plates with every robbery. It, it made me an excellent driver, a very careful driver, because I was always in a stolen van with stolen plates, so I was always just one traffic stop away from being discovered. So how many years are we talking about that you were an active bank robber? It was just a couple of years. Okay. And it wasn't so much the uh, uh, federal authorities that were closing in on you, although, of course, people had made note of the fact that there was this one person seemed to have robbed a lot of places, but it was really your wife at the time who was kind of catching on, mm -hmm. you've said, and it necessitated you eventually to just kind of try to lower the amount of scrutiny you were under, maybe from everyone, actually. You left the state of Washington. You basically went on the run. Yes. And we're going to hear about that on tomorrow night's edition of uh, TBTL Interviews, Drew McFrizz. Okay, welcome back. Now is the time for the Wagoneer's favorite segment, Christy Has Questions. <laughs> Are you ready now, for this now, Christy, Christy, you don't have to keep this segment short because uh, you don't actually know that that Barb and I can talk a, a blue streak. You just know that we can chat a blue streak. Yeah, that's true. Well, I also have talked to Barb endlessly in person. Yeah. So, well, that's you and Barb. Right. You know, you well, don't oh, underestimate you... my my ability to keep things. Uh, brief. So you think Barb. that we're going to get on the line and it's just going to be crickets? No. Oh. <laughs> no. I'm lying. It's right, going right. to take, it's going to be a long right, right. <laughs> conversation. All right. So first questions first on the question on everyone's mind. Um, you explained that you had a poop attack, which is common <laughs> in a stressful situation. Yeah. But um, did this happen every time? No, it did not. It was just that uh, first time. Mm -hmm. So after that, um, I mean, I'm not going to say I never had a poop attack again, mm -hmm. but it wasn't a regular uh, feature. I, I mean, put yourself in my shoes. In that your was, underpants? Yeah. <laughs> don't know. Don't put yourself there. <laughs> but put yourself in my shoes. It was something that, I mean, I had been building up to and the i mean it was just so stressful and i think anyone could forgive me a poop attack oh yeah on that day for sure no you also said you stayed sober that first time was that the last yeah. time that you stayed sober uh, no it i stayed um i always uh rob banks in the mornings or yeah i wouldn't say always but mm -hmm. but like most of the time I robbed banks early in the mornings because there'd be nobody in there. And I would wake up and not take my usual dose of pills in the morning because there was a window 
where I could sober up and not be jonesing. Mm -hmm. So I would be like hyper aware of everything that was going on. And it was just an ideal time to do whatever I needed to do, whether it was robbing a bank or, you know, doing something I needed to be completely sober to do. Uh, and, and robbing banks was one of those things. Well, and also you had to drive and, and as you mm -hmm. said, you needed to be, follow the letter of the law while driving at all times yep. in this stolen vehicle with stolen license plates filled with yeah. money that's just stolen like you don't want to be <laughs> get pulled over for a dui <laughs> on top of all of that right 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 and 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 here's here's an underrated thing for people that are trying to get away with being criminals um make sure that your brake lights and your headlights and uh your reverse lights make sure all of that is always on point because <laughs> it would suck to go down over something yeah, like that. Right. Um, did, so you talk about the note. You were very specific about what you said in it. Um, and that was all well thought out. But did you use the same note every time? Like, was it a lucky note? Or did you throw that away and write a new one? I had the same note every time. It was part of a little um, package that I had. It was, uh, I had a... Um, uh, like a navy blue Eddie Bauer backpack. It wasn't very big. And it had the note in the outside pocket. And I kept that always stashed away. And I used it every time. And the only time it um, almost didn't serve me well was when I got $45,000 from the Citibank in, uh, I think it was Mill Creek or Bothell. It was somewhere in between there. Mm -hmm. And I had a hard time stuffing the <laughs> two huge packs of 20s and the one oh, huge man. pack of fives into that thing. But I got it done. Did that give you anxiety? I mean, because what are you going to do? Like, oh, go ahead and keep this one. No, nah, I think I would have just like tucked it under my shirt or oh, just, okay. <laughs> you know, because I have everyone blocked off with my mm -hmm. shoulders because I'm pretty tall. And yeah. uh, so I had everyone kind of blocked off. So it wouldn't have. I mean, I think I could have gotten away with it, but I really did want to get it in that backpack because it just, who wants to try to, you know, tuck away um, $5,000 in fives like a football and, yeah. and charge out of the Chase Bank. Right. Or leave 10000 of it on the counter because that's a big red flag to the person behind you, right? <laughs> There's a pile left. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it was not ideal to, to do something like that. So... Um, I didn't upsize my backpack after that cause I knew I'd gotten lucky. That was yeah. just straight up <laughs> yeah. luck. So no, I didn't worry about it. So that leads me to on that big haul, you would, because, okay. So thanks to Phyllis Fletcher, we should give her a little shout out. She went to the national archives or the Washington state archives and got all of your court records, which has the summonsing papers and everything. And mm -hmm. what I, what I noticed is the they listed the amount that you got from each bank and the address. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so of course the 45,000, that was a big haul. And there was some that you maybe got $300 from. So is that a pretty sad day? Yeah, there were a couple, there were probably at least two or three that were under a thousand dollars. And I mean, I'm sure I could have like insisted on more drawers or mm -hmm. been more threatening to the person and made sure that they gave me, 
more stuff or whatever, but I was a one drawer robber yeah. <laughs> in that I wasn't trying to attract any attention to myself. So uh, whatever was in that drawer was what I got or whatever they would give me out of that drawer was what I got. And uh, the, the usual haul was about two or $3,000. Um, and then, yeah, there were, there were some sad, sad days. <laughs> <laughs> And then there was the one big day or whatever. Yeah. And then there were a lot of banks where the cameras weren't turned on or they, the cameras weren't focused correctly or, you know, mm -hmm. so there were, there were some robberies I got away with without any repercussions, but there was outside of the 45 grand and those few that were under a grand, mostly it was like between uh, like, 1500 and 4500 that was kind of your average haul from the one drawer and you would stat so when you got the big haul you said you would stash it in the minivan <laughs> well that was the only time i had to stash right i had to really stash anything yeah. and then did your wife find it yeah she did and what did you say like how do you explain that uh well I think I think I've talked about it on TBTL or on one of those um, interview shows. I I was a sports gambler. I love to gamble on sports. In fact, I, I gambled on sports all the way until um, after I met Emily and we got serious in our relationship and we started like mingling our money. And then I just stopped. Um, the last the last gambling I did was actually not on sports, but but it was on the two thousand eight election uh, where I gambled on Obama at ten to one. I put my last uh, sixty bucks that I had in the account. There's just like a loose sixty bucks. I put it on Obama at uh, ten to one, and I won six hundred bucks. And it that was the last money that I withdrew from my offshore gambling account. But uh, I'm I'm just a huge sports gambling guy. If, if, if there were no one to answer to and unlimited funds in my life, I, <laughs> that's, that's how I would just get all of my joy was, is just gambling on sports. Cause I, I like to think I'm super smart at sports or whatever, you know, I'm not, but you know, I like to think that I'm, I, I, I have all the inside or whatever. So she knew that I like to gamble on sports. My, my wife, Lee, Elisa, and uh, that's why when she found the money, I went to an excuse of that I'd won the money gambling. Mm. That's and a good safe bet. I went to the extent of going down to the federal building in Seattle where I actually worked when I first got out of college and I, I had a temporary job uh, with the feds. And I picked up some... Uh, the tax form you need. Yeah, the tax <laughs> forms. And I and I forged them, you know, to indicate that I'd won, you know, this huge amount of money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she bought it because she didn't want her life to fall apart. Right. <laughs> she, didn't, yeah, sure. she didn't want me to be a complete dirtbag or whatever. So she just, she bought it and uh, I bought furniture for the house and I bought her a car and, you know, and I continued to try to, you know, get the money into the bank just mm -hmm. like 500 bucks at a time. So when you win that much money or you have that much money, you steal that much money uh, and you don't want to pay taxes on it or arouse the authorities, 
you just have to like trickle it into your account, which was, <laughs> which is what I was trying to do when she found it. Wait, 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 wait. So you would put this money back into the account? So you would, would steal it from back. one bank and put it in another? Yeah, put it into my account. Yeah. I had no idea. This yeah. is a this is a dazzling detail because <laughs> I I just Oh, oh, that you oh, there, the... no, I no, I have one more detail on that actually. Okay. Cuz I I told her that I won it during a sports gambling trip um to Reno uh which I actually I took this trip to Reno. It was like a day trip and I didn't even tell her. I flew down to Reno and the reason I went down there was to try to convert all these $5 bills into uh bigger bills so that I could get them into um my bank account. And uh so I went all around Reno to the sports books betting both sides of games in fives. So sort of giving up the juice cuz uh when you bet you you um, if you bet both sides of a game, you're going to lose 10%. Right. So I went all around town and I'm just laying all these fives down. And I think it was the, um, the Hilton Las Vegas. No, sorry. The, the Reno Hilton big sports book. That was the only place where the clerk just said, Oh, what's the deal with all these fives? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I think I said something stupid like, well, I, I always save fives. That's my gambling money or whatever. Mm. Uh, so when, um, when I got caught with all that money, I confessed that I had gone to Reno on that day that I had actually gone and, um, and that I had won all that money gambling on sports. But, uh, fact is I did go to Reno on that day and it was just simply to try to convert fives into hundreds that I could, uh, you know, less suspiciously get into my account. Yeah. But I paid for a lot of shit with fives for the <laughs> for the few months after that robbery. Um, did you do you know if you're if you had a bank robber name? Yes, I did. I didn't find out until later, and I can't even remember who told me. But um, my nickname was Doughboy, and uh, I've heard from different sources that it meant that I was young. Because boy was in the name, okay. but I've also heard that um, Anne pointed out that somebody in the paperwork, a teller in the paperwork said that I had chubby cheeks. <laughs> so it might have been because they thought I was fat. But I, I was, oh. you know, I'm 6'2". I was 220. But not dough I, meaning money? Because you've gotten so much money? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Dough boy would be guy, young guy with money, you know? Mm-hmm. But then someone else has told told me that um, they had called me like the the college robber or the university robber or the or professor or something. Or something right? uh, no, the professor is a call was a jail nickname. Oh, um, but uh, yeah, something something to do with uh, my education. But that would have been after they knew who I was. Well, whoever is in the marketing department of making up these names is terrible. Yeah, they're pretty shitty at it. Doughboy's dumb. We can't. And, and it's a it's an important job too because if you really want to get the public behind trying to catch someone, you need to you know capture Snazzy their nickname. attention. Yeah, yeah, for exactly, sure. exactly. Um, so why did you move back to Washington? My my wife uh, 
she had a weird family that she wasn't too fond of. I got along with them pretty well, but mm-hmm. she didn't. And they were from Louisiana and we had our honeymoon in New Orleans and that was fun and everything. Uh, the second part of our honeymoon, we came up to Seattle and they threw a reception. My family threw a reception and she liked how normal my family is. <laughs> and, um, you know, my family is pretty normal. Yeah. We're sort of a Scandinavian family though. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of closed off, which I guess appealed to her because her right. family was really like <laughs> passionate and Cajun. So you always want what you don't have. You know, like I liked her family because they were, you know, they, they were passionate. Yeah. Right. They were passionate and interesting. And she liked my family because we were boring and quiet and closed (laughs) off. So, uh, she idealized Seattle. So, uh, we moved after she got her MBA, we moved to Seattle and, uh, she got a good job at Seattle Pacific in their foundation department. And I just continued robbing banks. Does she still live here? No, she moved back to, uh, she moved to Louisiana about six months after I disappeared. She got a divorce. Uh, you can, if, if your spouse disappears, Mm -hmm. uh, you can get a divorce. She got divorced or something. Right. It's called deserter husband Mm -hmm. or deserter spouse. And so she got a divorce and she moved back to Louisiana. My mom gave her, uh, her car. And uh, she just loaded up and moved back to Louisiana. So my question is, you put a lot of time and effort in planning this and Mm -hmm. staking it out. And then now this whole thing where you put the money back into the bank, which I don't know why I think it's so hilarious. Um, Couldn't you have just got a job? Uh, Probably, yes. I could have gotten gotten a job and I did get jobs when I was... Um, on my way to where I got with my addiction. And when you're taking pain medication at the level I was, your windows of being able to concentrate get smaller and smaller. They're still there. Mm -hmm. And if you're an intelligent person, you can still do things for an hour, two, three hours a day. Um, But then you're gone Mm -hmm. the rest of the time. You can't concentrate. And um, l- luckily, you know, since you're not like falling down drunk or um, or on crack or something, this particular kind of addiction allows you some short windows of being able to concentrate and organize and put things together. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as like putting together a six, eight, ten hour workday, there's just no fucking chance. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So that's that's the end of Christia's questions for this episode. Um Well, Christy, there yeah. were probably forty five questions you put for <laughs> But these every were the episode. approved Mike's questions. <laughs> well, no, I mean if you want to go off the board, I mean I just I only highlighted the ones that you think that are I interesting. That I yeah, that I thought had had general interest. But if there's anything if there's ever anything, Christy, <laughs> that that you really want to drill down on, I mean, I'm fine with it. Okay. Just I I didn't wanna, you know, didn't want to take everyone's time with I think that we should get Barb on the line because she's going to have a lot of interesting things to say. Yeah. So let me get her. 
Okay. So with every episode this week, we are bringing in someone who had a ticket to the shit show ride that was me (laughs) back in the day. And uh, for this particular episode, we have someone who has been a friend of mine since I was 16 years old in high school at Eastside Catholic in Bellevue, Washington. And that is my good friend, Barbara Aerosmith. Hello, Barb. Hi. Barb, this is not going to surprise you because uh, you are in a large chat, ongoing rolling chat, uh, with probably 15, 16 people, uh, including our friend here, uh, Christy Wise, it's not going to surprise you that Christy has some questions <laughs> for you. No, I expected that. <laughs> so, so as Bobby would say, with that, I will hand you over to Christy for these questions, and of course, I will be here to defend myself. <laughs> oh, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, indefensible. <laughs> Hello, Barb. Hello. Hi. Okay, so my first question that I'm going to ask all the guests is, how did you meet Mike? Uh, senior year of high school. And he was very noticeable because he was new. So. <laughs> fresh um, fresh he was blood, in my I think they class. call it. Yes, exactly. Um, he was in my English class. Uh, so I'm sure that was probably... Actually, I think he was in a couple of my classes. Debate or something? I think religion okay. and uh, yeah, yeah, religion, yeah, mm-hmm. and I think debate for a semester or speech or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we crossed over a little bit, uh, and then I was the trainer for the basketball team, and he played basketball. So um, that put us in a van traveling to a lot of obscure high schools that had agreed to play us <laughs> at that point because <laughs> we were a very small school then. Um, they're a big powerhouse now, but. You know, we played Mount Vernon and Bremerton and... Uh, Gig Harbor. Gig Harbor. Yeah. <laughs> we were all over the place. A weekend, a never forgettable weekend in the Bay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, all the hot spots of the state. Lots and, of time to chat. And then, so you you became fast friends from basketball and all that. And then you also, did you go to the same college? Uh No. He went to the University of Washington, and I went to Western. Um, but I didn't go right away. So there was a, a sort of an extended, I don't know what you would call it, um, rush summer <laughs> of hanging out down at the fraternities and things like that. But um, then eventually I did leave and go to college, uh, but spent a lot of time driving back and a lot of summer time hanging out at the fraternity uh and then if you if you referenced a certain ima championship photo i did attend the university of washington under his assumed name for one spring so well, you're, you're a criminal to do, too is what you're saying yes exactly <laughs> i stole an ima championship what i used to do was populate uh, my intramural teams the co-ed ones with um, ladies very talented ladies from other schools, um, you know, in, in order to facilitate championships, mm-hmm. all I'm going to say. <laughs> but you so, guys, yeah, I don't know about criminal. I would say more mercenary. <laughs> yes. Mercenary. <laughs> it was for a greater good. Um, yeah. but you guys, when were you roommates? Because you were roommates for a while. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, after Mike graduated from the U and I had been living with a girlfriend in an apartment in Seattle who uh, was still attending the U and went to Mexico, I think, on um, some sort of, you know, quarter long or semester long study thing. So she was going to be gone a while. And he needed a, a place to stay and I needed a roommate for a little while. Uh, so he moved in. It was a pretty brutal time for me because I had come back. I graduated and come back from the internship that I had in D.C. And I was looking for a job in broadcasting, but I was getting just about as deep as I could get in my addiction. And I, I mean, I was depressed and I was drinking a lot and it was I mean, I love that apartment, Barb, and I love it. It was you know, a cool apartment. Living with you, and it was a great, great place in town to live. But personally, I was in a very dark place at that time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't normally yell at children, and you did while we lived there. Uh, <laughs> Please to explain this. <laughs> <laughs> we had a, a daycare in the basement oh. of the school, or the basement of the building that serviced one of the hospitals and every morning they would let the kids outside to play as they arrived at about six o'clock. And you know, it was basically a whole bunch of little toddlers running around screaming three or four floors down. It wasn't that tall a building. And if you had your window open, which you had to in the summer, it was loud. And eventually he got tired of it. <laughs> I don't well, like this, Mike, I'm on your didn't side. Didn't they, didn't they know <clears throat> That I was horribly hungover and uh, <laughs> working as a security guard all night and trying to get to sleep at, right. at six in the morning. Didn't they know that? Well, I'm sure they did after. <laughs> yeah, after I screamed out the window. Threw up details. the sash and yeah. screamed out the window at a yeah. whole pack of two year olds. Yeah. So, um, my next question, Barb, is did you know that he was he had this addiction? Uh, no, I did not know about the pills. Um, he, so the first time I got into Mike's car in high school, there were three or four empties in the, on the floor of the front seat, mm -hmm. which to my delicate little Catholic sensibilities, you know, that was his warm up in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I knew he drank and I knew he drank a lot. And if you have ever been around Mike when he drinks, um, and I don't know if it's still this way, but he could drink a lot of alcohol before you ever knew that he had been drinking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people would do things, me included, like hand him the keys just because he would say, you know, he, he could appear not drunk. Mm -hmm. um, so he was really good at fooling people. Um, and I'm sure at that point he had, you know, it had been, what, two years, two and a half mm -hmm. that you'd been taking the pills. So by then, yeah. he was really good at hiding it. It was, and, and that was, before it got to the point when I turned myself in, the the other point where I had gotten deepest in was about the time we were living together. And, um, but to be fair about um, my drinking in high school, um, 
you know, having all those Mickeys before school, Mickey's Big Mouths, it wasn't that bad because there's a rebus on the back of the lid. So, I mean, you're learning <laughs> while you're drinking. Yeah, it's like studying. Yeah. <laughs> while you're doing I mean, you're it's like brain work, you know. That's I give I give Mickey's all the credit in the world for keeping uh, the brain active while destroying it with malt liquor. Right. Every time I think of those kinds of beers, I think of the room full of beer that one summer that Kenny found. <laughs> and he bought like, I don't know, 300 cases of some sort of beer for yeah. a ridiculous price. It was a project. It was, it project. was a project. <laughs> and they all had those things underneath. I don't even yeah. remember what kind of beer it was, but they all had the uh, Lucky Lager, um, <laughs> the generic beer. For a while there was generic beer uh they were all made by the same people so uh mickey's generic and lucky lager all had rebuses yeah or rebuy is that the yeah, what <laughs> it was the summer of beer with puzzles under the cap yeah and you would put them in a room a bunch of beer yeah there room? was one yeah yeah there's one room at the frat that um was just dedicated to beer because during the summer we rented out rooms to girls for the guys that had gone home, we just rented out the rooms to girls. And if there were any extra rooms, we either put like um, video games, like Defender was in one of the rooms, and then there would be another room just dedicated to beer. <laughs> see. And Barb, did you ever rent out these rooms during the summer? No, I basically, if I was going to stay, I slept on the sleeping porch and they rotated through watches. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, I'd wake up and somebody would just be sitting there, and it was like, you know, they'd come to check on me. Yeah, yeah. We respected women. Yeah, I was gonna say that. That's usually very unfrat boy like. <laughs> yeah. So, Barb, what did you think when he just picked up and moved to Florida? Oh well, for me, it wasn't like he just picked up and moved. We had had long conversations about it. We had talked mm -hmm. about me going. Yeah. Um, there was a community college there that I'd looked at because uh, I wasn't doing anything either. You know, yeah. I was working a stupid dead end job and drinking with him. You know, we did really dumb shit stuff. Like, I think once we wrote out all the lyrics to the Grinch song, <laughs> taped them on the side of the TV. <laughs> that was a project one night. So, yeah. you know, we were we were really making the most of our collective education. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, uh, you know, ultimately, I think he really needed a clean break. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was immediately hit with, well, what do you mean you're moving across the country with this young man? What does that mean? And mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I was like, right. well, well, there's this college and, they, you know, nobody was listening to that. So it was it was kind of easier all around. And I think ultimately was, you know, him keeping me far away from that again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So did you guys keep in contact while you were in Florida? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wish I um, – I have a bunch of those letters too. They're just in a box at my mom's. <laughs> I, I probably stayed in contact with Barb more than anyone else mm -hmm. while I was in Florida. Would you guys yeah, talk on the phone or just the letters? Oh, okay. Yeah, mostly letters. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think really the only time we ever talked on the phone is if he was coming up for some well, reason. People, I mean, Christy, you've pointed out many times how old I am. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> on the show. Uh, that shit used to cost money. Oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Talking on the phone. So, so you know me, I'm cheap. Right. So uh, letters. And you like to yeah, write. A stamp. Yeah, I'm I'm good writer. I like to write, and I'm cheap. So that's a recipe for uh, keeping in touch, letter wise. Yeah. So and what, I can oh, go ahead. write like crazy. So you know. Yeah. It was totally normal for us to exchange like nine to twelve page letters. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, Barb, Mike mentioned um, that the FBI assumed that you knew that what he was up to. And Uh where he was. Did you get questioned by the FBI? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a lovely lunch at Cherry's um, (laughs) with a a man in a short sleeve dress shirt. Was it free? (laughs) Did he pay for it? He did pay for it. Um, Did you get pie? uh, No, no, I did not get pie. Um, I had a turkey sandwich of some kind. Uh, And I knew probably 10 minutes in that this guy was probably never going to catch Mike unless Mike wanted to be caught. Um, Do you remember? A lot of what he told me was news like he came to me for information and I just sat there and asked him questions Mm -hmm. so okay so what when Mike when did you know that something was up because Mike's writing these 12 page letters as if his life is just like fine in Florida right oh yeah but he was back here Um, so they moved back uh, and I moved into the basement of the house that they moved into just kind of to help out with rent. Um, and I had started seeing, did I start seeing Chris yet? Maybe. I don't think so. I don't, no, I don't know if I had. So I was, I, but I was hanging out a lot with Cheryl, my friend who just lived right down the street, sort of half and half living in, you know, living, living in three different places basically. Mm-hmm. But um, Mike's first wife and I did not get along. She just, didn't like me and ultimately you know there was not a lot I could do about that mm-hmm. so um I I think Barbara I think it was one of those things where um a, a lot of people and women don't believe that men and women can be platonic friends mm-hmm. and, oh yeah and I think uh my my wife was one of those people so she just didn't trust uh having you around right and uh, yeah i mean so it wasn't your personality she was just jealous of you yeah Yeah, i think they would have been friends in the wild yeah but yeah because of the situation it was just not Mm -hmm. not going to happen right yeah and i knew it was situational um and so at one point mike was like you know you should probably get out of here this isn't really comfortable mm-hmm. for anybody. And I had seen that yeah. coming, and had some stuff lined up. Um, but it was, I remember that conversation because it was, it was really, it was like talking to a different person. It was very weird and disconnected. Mm-hmm. And I sort of chalked it up to it being an uncomfortable thing to do. And, mm-hmm. but the whole, you know, the whole time I'm thinking, well, duh, of course you're siding with the wife. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, I would expect nothing less than you to say, you know, what are you going to do? Go to bat for me? That's dumb. Ask your wife to move out. So, of right. course, I had made, like, other plans and everything. But I just sort of, it just, it was really an odd conversation. And looking back on it, it, you know, I think he probably had had a whole lot of drugs. Because there just wasn't the type of, 
I don't know how to, it's not, emotion's not the, emotion's not the word I'm looking for, but it was just like, if you looked in his eyes, there was nothing there. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time you had noticed it? Yeah, really. I mean, in a, I guess maybe because it was in a situation that I would have expected. Right. Compassion or something from your friend. Yeah. Him to just be like, this really sucks. I really wish you guys could have gotten along or, you know, whatever it was. Mm But it was just kind of this robotic, this is for the best and, you know, everybody move along. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it wasn't until nine months later, I'm going to say it was close to nine months, um, that I got a phone call from her, from Lee, saying, did I know where he was? And I had no idea where he was. (laughs) And... And, you know, we, we talked a little bit over the course of the next week or two, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, he was gone and I didn't have any idea where he was and neither did my brothers and neither did anyone that I knew that was connected with him that she didn't know. Um, and that was that for a while until the FBI called. So you... So you knew, all you knew was he was missing. Like he left her. So in your mind is he just left her. Yeah. um, In fact, I remember talking to girlfriends, you know, people who knew him, people from high school and things and saying, you know, maybe he just ran. Maybe I, I really honestly couldn't see him doing that to, uh, to Meredith. Which is a stepdaughter. Yeah, that seemed um, really out of character. But it also, um, I I don't know. I mean, I I guess I could see it. It wasn't an idyllic relationship, but Mm -hmm. I had been gone for nine months. You know, I hadn't seen anything for nine months. Anything can happen in nine months. So maybe maybe it had gotten really horrible and he decided to go. Um, But then once I, you know, once she called and it had been the way it had been, like mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't that he just left. He like snuck out in the middle of the night and left a note kind of thing. Um, then I started to wonder why. And she seemed to think it had something to do with gambling. Oh, because seemed- yeah. she thought that she had, that's the last thing she knew. Yeah. Yeah. And she had found something um, half burned or something that had numbers on it and, um, you know, he was always so into sports and I mean, you know, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. That didn't seem way out of the realm of possibility for someone who already had exhibited a fairly addictive personality, but I had no idea. And then you, the first time you knew something is this FBI agent interviewed or came to get information from you, but then you found out about the banks and everything at that time. Right. So, yeah, he came to talk to me. Um, he called, and I think I'm sure he filled me in with some stuff over the phone, but I don't really remember the phone call. I just remember the lunch. And I just remember being really unimpressed. Because <laughs> I, I just I remember asking a lot of questions like, well, isn't there bank footage? And don't you have, you know, all the things that you ask. Um, and, of course, they had a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But... It, it, a lot of it wasn't enough to, mm. to, you know, identify him cleanly or anything, but 
I just thought, yeah, this guy's, I, I remember saying it to my roommate when I got home that I just didn't think that, you know, might somebody maybe in the FBI will catch him, but probably not that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and you were right. <laughs> well, yeah. And he was really pissed about it. <laughs> um, so did you visit Mike in prison? I did not. Uh, and actually that had more to do with, um, just the, it, when he moved from Sheridan up to the King County facility in Kent, um, they were not to say the least as organized. Uh, and, uh, Cause it was you know, new. so yeah. And they, um, they sort of considered him this weird high level threat because he was medium security. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though, you know, you never heard anybody and he never did anything in prison to ever hurt anybody and on and on and on, um, suddenly he was like a higher risk. So everybody had to be vetted and blah, blah, blah. And eventually mm-hmm. it just became, you know, plus I, I was pregnant too. So And I was on my way out. And yeah, so I was he, like, I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've waited this long. What's another month or two? Yeah. <laughs> so I did... While he was in prison, did he write you letters? Uh huh. And do you still have those? I do. Lots you of do them, actually. Do yeah, you have I them with you right now. Uh huh. You do. Can you read some me. of them? <laughs> well, there. I mean, his stories are better than the letters, really, because the letters are, you know, us mostly bullshitting about people. Mostly, just know. be asking what she's wearing. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was pregnant. It, I was wearing maternity Well, what's <laughs> annoying about that, you know, d- sexting back in the day is you had to wait like almost a month <laughs> to get the response. Right. What are you wearing five weeks ago? Right. Yeah, exactly. I think you'll be wearing. So how many letters do you think you have there? Um, I probably have a dozen. Uh, and there were, like I said, there's probably more um, in a box at my mom's house. Uh, because I know there, uh, most of these are from when he was in Seattle. There's what is your mom wearing? By the way. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Mike, did you have a crush on, on her mom? No. Oh. no. <laughs> because no. we all have no. crushes on uh, Mr. Frizzell. <laughs> well, those of us who got to see him, he was, he was elusive. He, he was, well, I've seen the picture. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, well, the picture yeah, from my dad, college. My dad was slash is pretty hot. Yeah. <laughs> he was. So would he and write you dresser. like, Bill, we had Bill on the show last week and we talked about how he would write about um, sports. Did he write about sports with you? Because you're, you love sports just as much as anyone. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, a, a lot of the stuff from Sheridan was more when he, like I said, when he got to... Um, Seattle, there wasn't as much ability to play sports. A lot of that stuff happened when he was in Oregon. Um, so yeah, yeah, I got stories about stuff that would happen there. And, um, a lot of what I sent him too was because he was in Oregon and because the internet wasn't a thing and, you know, they got limited sports info. You could send, you know, you could fill three pages with what happened on Sunday. So. <laughs> And and that's what you're trying to do. I mean, if you're writing to somebody, it was different when he was in Florida. You know, in Florida, there was a lot more sort of funny stories and 
here's who I saw today and that kind of stuff. But when you're writing from prison, you know, it, and you're the person, it's a little like writing to somebody in a foreign country yeah, about what's know. happening here. Yeah. Yeah. They have no idea. So they want some information from home and, you know, to be taken back there for a little while. So I was always a little bit conscious of that. Just Mike. So yeah. one of the questions I forgot to ask you yesterday or, um, when we record with Bill is, did you take notes while you were watching these basketball games? Did you have like a little <laughs> notebook? No, oh. no, <laughs> not at all. I mean, uh, anyone who wants to talk sports with me, um, Godspeed, because I will destroy you. I mean, I will ruin your Facebook messenger with <laughs> responses because I have so many thoughts about what's going on in sports all the time and no outlet for it besides possibly my friend Josh. Uh, so um, there, there's no need. I no would need fill to up get... too many, too many notebooks if I did that. Well, so. and Bill and, and Luke both thought that you were, pretty hilarious in your letters whose jokes did you steal then ha! <laughs> screw you Kristen. is that why jeff is so elusive <laughs> oh right right yeah jeff, jeff has not appeared my Sally jeff has not appeared on this show um but it's not because i'm stealing his jokes it's just because i'm probably stealing his jokes yeah he, he mumbles <laughs> everyone thinks mike's the funny one those were my jokes <laughs> yeah he has jeff is very that. funny yeah. <laughs> all right barb do you want to read one of the letters or do you have other stories to tell um okay so i'm trying to think there was one i, didn't, I wish i'd known you're gonna have me read because oh, you don't have to I'm searching um i'm just trying to think of this one he he had been talking about the um the Tylenol guy. Oh yeah. Oh, the Sudafed Mike, killer. Yeah. The Sudafed guy. Yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it says. Joe Mealing here. is his name. Yeah. Joe Mealing. Okay. So it says uh, Joe Mealing, the Sudafed guy was laughed out of the courtroom up in Seattle, as I predicted. I picked up some free sodas and push-ups from guys in here who actually thought that the judge would buy old crazy Monty Bridges story. <laughs> he still has the right to appeal the decision, but he's been ridiculed in the appellate court before on his original case, so it is likely that he's through. What will be really interesting is that he has promised to kill himself when he's exhausted his appeal. <laughs> he's still out at the detention center right now, and he might be here again soon. He, of course, will beg me to get his orderly job back, and I will insist that he pay some sort of tax on that. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. I really doubt that he has the guts to kill himself, as he didn't have the nerve to watch his wife die the night he poisoned her. By the way, did you know that he poisoned her the very day that a life insurance policy he had bought on her came into effect? $700,000 would have been his had he been cleared of the charges. Honey, you've been keeping me awake with your snoring. Won't you please take some of these Sudafed capsules to clear your sinuses? There's a good girl. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, and then it, what else did he do? You stole Jeff from him, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
I did because I didn't fear him because he's a pussy. So, like, will you t- tell the story about him if anyone is not aware of the pseudified killer? Well, um, his name's Joe Mealing. He lived in Tacoma, I think, and he took out a uh, well. He he liked to go to strip clubs, um, and he liked to spend money there, like to make it rain or whatever. Uh, and he took out an insurance policy. He was an insurance agent and he took out a policy on his wife. And the day that it came into effect, he put some poisoned Sudafed capsules on the shelves in Tacoma and Olympia, I think. And he also poisoned his wife with the same capsules. So, uh, the, the problem was when his wife started to struggle to live, he called 911, he lost his nerve and she was saved by the paramedics and by the hospital staff. And she believed him at first that he hadn't done it, but eventually turned against him. And there was video footage along with like some fingerprints and some signatures from some places where he bought poison that he put into the capsules. So that was Joe Mealing, the Sudafed killer. Did he end up actually killing anyone? Yes. Two elderly people in Tacoma died. And that's why it was a federal crime. Product tampering is federal. And he was convicted of it. And never admitted it and was you know, always fighting it. So is he still in prison today? Uh, I'm pretty sure he is. I mean, I, oh, I would assume out, so. That's life but, sentence. Yeah. 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 He had like two life sentences and, mm-hmm. and the, f- like, the, fed, you know. the feds aren't screwing around when they, when they go after you, you're done. I have so yeah, many typically. questions. I have so many questions. Can we get him on the line? Um, Joe Mealy? <laughs> First of all, I, I'm sure. I'm sure if it were possible, um, we could because I'm on good terms with him. I mean, I, I um, he he didn't hate me after I stole Jeff. He was fine. Okay. He yeah, found don't... another guy to to give like two cases of Pepsi a week to to stay in his room. So I want to know. I mean, not that I'm going to use it, but. Is there actually a poison store and you keep receipts for it? Do, I mean, do uh, it you was, just go uh, in like, and it's a comical like skull and crossbones and you're like, I'll take the poison. <laughs> it was like, um, maybe it was the like a with the mystery feed store or something. <laughs> it was someplace where you have to, where if you want to buy something to like poison, like. Uh, Pests or uh, something. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. You have to like sign for you know, like when you go to um, Walgreens and you want to get the Sudafed or whatever, and you mm-hmm. have to sign for it or whatever. Like if you want to get a certain level of poison, you have to sign for it. And <laughs> and he did. And also, you know, the insurance thing and it was all bad news. He was not smart. Yeah, he, he was not any sort of criminal mastermind. No. No, I mean he he was a smart guy overall, but you know we're not none of us are really smart when it comes to undertaking some sort of criminal enterprise. I mean, you have to do a little bit of studying, and he didn't do all his homework. There wasn't an unsolved mysteries about poisoning random old people. 
No, no. In fact, he, if he had watched something like that, he probably would have been more successful. <laughs> so is he? Yeah, and, 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 and you know that sucks. I mean, I don't want to make fun because yeah, two people, people died. died. Right. Right. Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. Well, the lesson that I learned from this is: don't ever marry a insurance agent, and don't let yeah. your husband or wife take out a, an insurance claim on your life. <laughs> <laughs> Don't marry an insurance agent who likes to go to strip clubs. So was that that's why he was going to murder his wife is because he liked to go to strip clubs? Well, you just money tends to disappear if you yeah, enjoy he spent all their money. Just, <laughs> I don't just get divorced. I don't understand these things. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a tough one to go home and say you know that retirement account? <laughs> yeah. I, I converted it into fives and stuck it in a G-string yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Oh, but fives. Big spender. <laughs> but yeah, he is, isn't he the reason that we have, you know, double covering on yeah. everything now? That, and, oh, yeah. You know, everything's wrapped in plastic. and mm-hmm. yeah, That all, and meth heads. Yeah. <laughs> There's something in those drugs that they smash up and make yeah. into things. Yeah, yeah. Pseudoephedrine. Pseudoephedrine. When I worked at Walgreens, I worked there before they had all those. You can only buy a certain amount and they check your license. And these people would come in at like 1030 at night and there'd be a guy like itching his skin and they'd fill up <laughs> the whole carts with all the ingredients you need. And I'd be like, um, it's weird that we have a limit on how many chocolate bars someone can buy, but this stuff, go ahead. And the manager <laughs> said, if we act like we know what's going on, then we can be liable. So until there's a Washington mm-hmm. law or a federal law, we can't do anything about it. And I was like, this is stupid. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Barb, did you have any uh, I, more stories or Mike, Barb, any more questions or um, stories? Well, I was going to say, um, one of the things I noticed when I went through the letters is that he had a habit of putting quotes at the top of the letters and I'd forgotten oh. that. Um, do you have some? And it, Yeah. I mean, a lot of them, the, a lot of them don't have them. Um, but, uh, one of them, <laughs> one of them is kind of funny. It's just, a, it says, what would an angel say? The devil wants to know. Uh, and that one doesn't actually have a person that it's attributed to. Um, one of them, and I think he's talking about an ex-girlfriend with this, because that's kind of what the letter was talking about. It says, and she admits it to me. She goes into all the details. Her lovely eyes, gazing into mine, portray the love she feels for another. Uh, Schiller is the writer. But mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with the quote or what it's from. Um, but this one is from the night before he got released and it says the night is always a giant, but this one was especially terrible. And that's from transparent things by Nabokov. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So yeah, sometimes when it was merited, there would be a quote and that was actually true of, um, of all letters, like stuff from Florida stuff when he was in dc mike so how long after mike got released did you see him i picked him up oh you did (laughs) on the corner yeah with my daughter strapped in the back (laughs) wait 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 wait, wait. okay so more questions than answers again um so mike 
Is it like the movies where they hand you your clothes you came in with and give you a bus ticket and say go? Uh, no, no bus ticket. They gave me the clothes and I got a uh, green windbreaker, which um, I guess is designed so that everyone in the neighborhood can know to call the cops uh, (laughs) as you're walking to the bus stop. Uh, And they gave me $26. That's a random number. I think it's just $26 and change. It wasn't the money that was in my account. It was just what they, the taxpayers have decided that you get. And uh, I walked up um, to the corner uh, by the uh, the bullpen tavern, I think. And yeah, some, up. yeah, some tavern. And yeah. then you guys had it already planned out that you were going to pick him up? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, okay. So then you got to meet Barb's new daughter. <laughs> yeah, I, sh- I shook her tiny hand. <laughs> she was facing backwards in the car seat behind us. No, but I mean, that has to be so strange because you, the last time you saw Barb, you guys were drunken like frat brothers together, basically. Um, <laughs> kind of, yeah. And now she's a mother with a well, tiny baby. It wasn't baby. as weird as you would think because we were, you know, we were in constant contact. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, we had, by, by the time he got to uh, Washington there was a lot more phone calls. Oh, okay. We could talk on the phone more. Mm-hmm. Local. And, um, oh, <laughs> exactly. So that's a question. You, you had money in your account. Did you get that money? Uh, or did I they tried just... to, or I tried to clear out my um, commissary account before I got out. I just I, buying I a bunch of stuff. I tr- yeah. I, I either did that or I transferred it out because I knew it would be, you know, tough to like petition it to get out or whatever yeah. so um so when i got out what they gave me was just what the taxpayers have decided was the amount that for they a tax year or whatever to to re-enter society and 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 um they think a federal inmate can get back on his feet with 26 <laughs> and then where did you take him barb where did i take you sherry's uh you i think moms? we went i think no i think we went to I think we went to a uh, key bank or something so I could, like, get my... Wait, 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 wait. Stop the show. (laughs) The first place you go when you get out of prison for robbing banks is a bank. Yeah, I mean, I got to get my shit straight, you know? (laughs) I never thought of that, but yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This just keeps getting better and better. So you went to the bank to open an account? Um, I think I already had an account or I, I don't, I don't remember the exact circumstance. I don't really but remember then, that either. But then, uh, I think she dropped me off at either my mom's or the halfway house or somewhere like that. I mean, it I'm, was, it no, was this was post halfway house. Okay. This was yeah, after. That, yeah. yeah. Okay. Then it was, uh, it was at, at my mom's where I lived for a couple weeks uh, maybe three until it became intolerable and I would borrow as much money as I could from any friend that I could possibly to get a shitty apartment in Tukwila. So, um, I'm, this isn't a joke though about the bank, like you being able to go in a bank. So you rob all these banks, you get accused of it, you go to jail, you're not allowed to vote and you're not allowed to own a firearm. 
knowing you, you wouldn't want it anyways. You can't go to Canada. You can't get a passport, like all that stuff. But you can go into a bank. Does anyone else think this is weird? <laughs> like that's what he well, should what be they, banned from. <laughs> what are they going to do? I mean, I mean, how do you stop me from going into a bank? There's I'm, a lot of I banks. No, I'm just saying that. I mean, the individual branches, I guess, could ban you for life. Now, I've been in branches that I've robbed before <laughs> to do Would banking. You, did you take a sucker when you left? Because <laughs> <laughs> just that adding seems insult like to injury. Rubbing it in. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I goes, did take off my hat and sunglasses when I went in. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's right. Anyways, and this gets into whether a prison is punishment or rehabilitation or like all that kind of stuff. It just seems weird like that you can't get a passport or vote, but you can go into a place that <laughs> that you robbed. You know right. what I mean? Well, okay. I don't think it's the same, though, as, as, you know, the other types of crimes where we limit people's contact are, are uh, sort of urge based i don't think there was ever any urge no to go rob no. a bank there no. was never any like rush from doing it or feeling like you know like like it built up until he did it the next time mm -hmm. like you no. know it, like he wasn't addicted was ever, to the robbing of the banks no, he was addicted to i don't to think the drugs. i was just gonna say i don't think it's ever been part of that addictive person it always feels better putting money into the bank for me than <laughs> taking it out <laughs> Well, we do know you're a cheap bastard. And also, oh. we heard about him almost pooping his pants the first time he did it. So I don't think that he mm -hmm. loved doing that. No. Nope. It was just a means to an end, really. Yeah. It was his job. I mean, that's... Looking back on it, um, because at one point in one of the interviews, he said something about the minivan. And you know, why steal a minivan of all mm -hmm. things? And uh, somebody, he, he joked about filling it with soccer equipment. Mm -hmm. And when he got to Washington, that's basically what he did because his fictional job became like sporting goods sales. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and so he bought all these um, samples. So there was, you know, like athletic bags and shoes. and Yeah, I had a bunch of bullshit in there just to make it seem true. Yeah. So, I mean, it was literally his job to appear like he had a job. And then, you know, the other half of the job was casing banks. <laughs> right. So, you know, but, but, but he was good you, at it. You, Mike, you would have been so good at that job selling sporting equipment. Yeah. If only I could uh, stay awake focus for on anything day. for more than two yeah. or three hours at a time, I yeah, would have been huh? fantastic. Yeah. Focus in any way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the show, Barb. No problem. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun reading all the letters again. And the, <laughs> a few pages of a really horrific book we tried to write. So, <laughs> I still have that, too. You guys were going to write a book together? Oh, yeah. We wrote, what, 150 pages or so? Yeah, what? we wrote quite a bit of it. About yeah. what? About this story. I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot of detail and, you know, a lot of it's personal. It's up to Mike as to how mm -hmm. much he shares about mm -hmm. it and, you know, people from college and, um, I mean, there's, there's Bill, but there's, I can think of 
half a dozen others, you know, immediately. So um, there's a lot of that in the book. Um, and I think part of it, too, it comes off in reading it now very um, a too personal in some ways. You know, there's too many personal references. I get them, but, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, would the average reader get them? So, um, yeah, I don't, it, you know, it was something we traded back and forth and it was fun, but I don't think either one of us is a true crime novelist. No, <laughs> no, it, it doesn't come off well. And, uh, I've, I've shared it with a few people and, you know, they're, they're personally amused by it, but they, nobody sees how it could appeal to a wider audience. Yeah. It's, um, and, and, you know, the insistence on not lying our ass off like everybody else who ever wrote a... Whoever <laughs> wrote, yeah, memoir. exactly, exactly. <laughs> what was the guy, James Fry? What, oh, God. Yeah, whoever that guy was. Maybe, yeah. you should, maybe you should try to sell it as a screenplay. It's so oh, interesting. Oh, that's been tried, too. Uh, my, a couple of times. Yeah, yeah my, friend, my friend Dave took a run at it, and he's a guy who sold screenplays in Hollywood and made money. Um, but... Uh, but it just doesn't uh we have we have tone issues because i'm i'm a jokey guy you're cocky and, is what we heard right <laughs> cocky <laughs> jokey or whatever and just, there's just no sympathetic character so everyone's like rooting it you can't root against the protagonist which is mm-hmm. what people end up doing <laughs> when i'm involved hmm. yeah it's hard to tell a, a prison story without any you know it's the it becomes the longest yard. There's no there's no actual right. part of it that's prison like <laughs> at some stage. Oh yeah, the prison part is a comedy. I mean, it's it's fun. Right. It's the best. It's the most lighthearted part of it. So. Yeah, and I think that there's that's a difficult thing to unless you're mm-hmm. writing for Adam Sandler. How do you how do you do yeah. that? So interesting. So Mike, you had mentioned in at least one of the interviews on TVTL that you were writing a book. Is this, is this, is it kind of in pause mode right now? Oh, it's been in pause mode for <laughs> several <eight> years. years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Closing in on a decade. <laughs> uh, I mean, the last person to um, read it was Emily, I think. And, and she was just like, Nope. Not good. <laughs> and, and she's, she's a, you know, fabulous critic. I mean, she, she is, um, she was a magazine journalism major in Mm -hmm. college and she knows what works and it just wasn't working. And I, since then I have met with a couple people, including, um, mutual friend with Bill Hugo, who writes, um, for a couple magazines based out of Seattle. And we've just tried to find a way to tell it that wouldn't, um, alienate people and we just haven't been able to find the right tone so uh, it's in park Okay, and I guess I have another question we'll have a bunch more of these kind of questions on the last day um, but you had mentioned that you didn't actually have a gun and if the teller had um, at any time said oh yeah well show it to me or if they had even like said boo you would have been scared and run away and we've gotten a couple questions about people um, wanting you to know that people are scared. And mm-hmm. um, and I know that you went through this and 
talked about it extensively, but at any time, did you ever think that, or were you in the mindset of like, well, number one, I'm high and number two, I have to feed that addiction. And number three, I know I don't have a gun, so they're safe. And so you didn't actually like think of that. Well, uh, I would say that if anybody had ever said, no, I'm not giving you the money, then I would just walked out because I usually had three or four places that I have already okay. scouted out that mm-hmm. I would just go to, to the next place. Mm-hmm. And what if the person had started, I mean, like, or did this happen? Like they looked scared or like started screaming or crying or anything like that. Was there a, very, a big emotion that kind of freaked you out? No, that never happened. The, um, <clears throat> the only time... I encountered anything remarkable was uh, a woman in Mission Viejo, and I may have mentioned this on the show, that where she said, uh, so what do you plan on spending all the money on? And I just thought, that's, you know, this is some bullshit. And I, and I think I told her to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> so had she learned in, like, banker's training to try to – get you talking or something no I, I think it was just she had she was jaded or it had happened to her before or she wasn't scared or she was nervous and she, or... want, she wanted to say no was this she was older you know mm. like i want to say she's probably in her mid 40s or early 50s and she was just i mean she was doing what i told her to do but she, you know, she made that little comment and I was just like, I was not having it. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Barb. Sure. Anytime. Do you need me to dish any more on Mike? You know, <laughs> always, always here. Probably always. not. Probably not. <laughs> Stay tuned for next week, episode three, Life on the Run with Rick Schwartz. We are taking questions for Mike. So if you would like, if you have some questions for him, feel free to send them to me at the show Twitter, LRB podcast, or email me at littleredbandwagon at gmail.com or send them via voicemail, 802-432-8285. Thanks.